head with hair. Long, beautiful hair. Shining, <laughs> gleaming, steaming, flaxen, waxen. Give me down the there hair. Show the length and long Listening to the Quarter Three Movie Podcast for Black Mass. <laughs> My name is Tom Chick, and I am here with Christian McCluskey. Uh, before we start, I want you to know something, and I want this on the record: I am not a rat. <laughs> and with our Black Mass tagline, Kelly Wand. It's like Lone Ranger, but with death as the White Man. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly Wand. I feel like that one was for me. Kelly Wand, you have a backup tagline. If you, if you keep saying that, by the way, Kelly Wand, all that's going to get you is a smack. <laughs> wow. Dingus is feisty. Wait, a smack or the drug smack? I mean, Dingus keep is saying, feisty. Keep saying white man. All you're going to get is a smack. White man! I, don't think I, I feel like I've lost the ability to say it right because I'm white. My backup tagline is, it's like Wait. transcendence but minus the humanity. <laughs> It's like Foxcatcher, but slower. <laughs> wow. Boom. That's all I got. Those are two pretty good hits. Those are those are solid infield grounders. That's that's good. Oh, I hate it when Dingus talks sports. Jesus. I like it. Let's get Dingus away from his sports talk by having you read us an IMDb synopsis, and then me and Dingus try to guess what the movie it is. All right. The obvious one would have been Donnie Brasco, but IMDb's... Synopsis of that's kind of normal. Okay. <laughs> kind of moved and passed over it. Good. Good. Yeah. It wasn't very, uh, it seemed too, it looks, it felt like grown ups had written it. Although the movie kind of sucks, if I remember right. I don't remember. Uh, from start to finish, I don't think I've seen this movie. That's your hint. Okay. From start to finish, comma, it's a story of friendship <laughs> between four streetwise males who don't Dine, mind. Diner. No. Okay, go on. Uh, it's a good guess, though. Four streetwise males. Diner is not a good guess because I wouldn't characterize like Daniel Stern's character as streetwise. No, none of those guys are streetwise. Yeah, yeah but it's IMDb, so you just go. Oh, right. it's good. Maniac wrote this. They got the number of characters correct, right. and that's all I should really depend on. All right, so carry on. I got one wrong. It's a mark against me. Go ahead. Oh yeah, and the cops last week were all over your shit. So there's a lot of math now, Tom. Three strikes and you're out. All the grounders, third place, second uh, uh, base. I thought we were getting away from sports talk. Shootout. Uh, from start to finish, it's a story of friendship between four streetwise males who don't mind using violence to achieve the lives that they want. <laughs> they trust no one but each other, which is vital to their success as mobsters. The story of a group of friends in turn of the century New York from their early days as street hoods to their rise in the world of organized crime. As their is, it, crime... is it Sleepers? No, you're on the right track. It's one of those ones where it sounds just like that. Clockers. <laughs> you're thinking too high. Sorry. You're you're Ready. Too... Oh. See, Tom, remember the name of that. Let's start there. Ooh. What did Tom say? Red, red heat. Yeah. Red, red heat. heat. Oh, good what lord. What did Tom say? You think Patekeep Feminine? That means Dingus was concentrating on what this movie was. Right. And he, he hear the words red heat. They just flew by, flew past him. As their crime empire expands, they have to deal with many problems. Oh, oh, their- oh, oh, shoot. Um, <laughs> that's the takers, part. That- takers. 
What? So it's Takers? Isn't it that That's thing it. with Paul yeah. Walker and four yeah. black dudes? Takers is a is a great little Paul Walker movie. Yeah, it's Takers, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. What? You thought I would have been able to find that or even know what it is? That's another thing. If you're just playing the IMDb zone, you're playing the Kellys. Takers so has, has a really good uh, heist scene where they heist an yeah. armored truck. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we only have one sentence left of this. And All right. If this may be uh, – you guys haven't not gotten it in a long time. I know. They have to deal with many problems, including their own differing opinions on how to run their business, the local godfather, and the psychotic mad dog call. What? Wow, a psychotic mad dog named call. Like That does sound familiar. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Because uh, I knew – Rounders. I'm okay. I'm going to read the one sentence I left out, and this will tip it for you. Oh, good. Mobsters, Christian Slater, and Richard Grieco. <laughs> gleaming the cube. <laughs> That's Christian Slater, right? <laughs> gleaming the cube. Yeah. Uh, okay, it's actually called Mobsters, so I said the title <laughs> and the actors' names, and you still didn't get it from that. That's how forgettable that movie is. Although, right. weirdly, it makes me want to watch it baked. All right, Kelly Slater, Richard Grieco. Come on. Yeah, you got us. Good, good work. Good uh, job. Well, I didn't want to. I I feel so. Just pretend it's Donnie Brasco. All right. I, know I feel bad. Uh, speaking <laughs> of speaking of uh, Paul Walker, I was I was traveling recently, and you know they have <laughs> when you have the in planes these days. Of course, you've got the little screen on the seat rest in front of you, and you just pick whatever movies you want to watch. Um, and I was doing other stuff, but the I could see between the seats in front of me what the guy in front and sort of diagonal to me was watching. <laughs> oh, boy. And he was watching Furious 7. So I would look oh. up every now and then to see a scene from Furious 7 and go, you know, this is pretty cool with the sound off. Um, and then he gets to the end. <laughs> was meant to be watched. The awesome part where they have the Paul Walker tribute, where oh, yeah. uh, Vin Diesel and Paul Walker drive up together. And at that point. He turns it off and switches to San Andreas. Oh, motherfucker. Oh. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. You know what, though? Maybe he saw it before, and he's just like, I don't want to do the sad part again. Um, just, you just might be right. It. Fair enough. Okay. that was. Right. I, don't, I don't know if I want to watch it again. Like, no, I love I mean, that was – I do too, but it's a bummer. That's the payoff. Why would you yeah. – switch? I mean, On a plane next to my wife? To something my wife. Else. I mean, why would you switch to – Andreas. Yeah, exactly. I, that's it was just, just such a fuck with Tom. It was such a long, long way to fall. That was yeah. Uh, you should have you should have not tapped his seat like you always do when there's a baby crying. That's I might be writers <laughs> embellishing the story, but you may not have tapped the baby seat. If there, was a, if there was a corresponding story about Tom on a plane like that one from the yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> this uh, movie Cooties is very overrated. I really recommend uh, Wa- Fear the Walking Dead. It has an amazing junkie character. There were also times where uh, I would be like walking down the aisles, like to come back from the restroom or whatever, <laughs> and I would see so many people watching Fury Road. Yeah. I just like want to stop and watch. I mean, that movie makes me so happy. A lot of it was, yeah, on a plane, plane. It's how so can you awesome. Do that in front of children, that's crazy talk. That's airplane edit. Plus, that movie's not any... Wait, it's no, not, it, I mean, it definitely shows bodies flying around. I don't know how that... That's a good point. Eh. Now what, kids? Oh, you guys are so... 
No, kids, they, whatever's shiny, they'll look at it. I mean, that's weird. Yeah, I know. It's actually that's, showing that's the Fury Road. You bet. Yeah, you bet. It's all over. People, lots of people are into watching it. Yeah. But, you know, you go down I, miles like Fury Road every few uh, every few seats. It was awesome. That's what Thomas was doing. He was checking you know, Fury Seven, uh, Fury Road, all cars. Some sort of Rotten Tomatoes for what people are watching on planes, and people like Tom should roam up and down the aisles like checking off like boxes, like, like a census worker. Fury Road. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of what people are watching, Dingus, why don't you tell the listeners what we watched this week? Well, this week we saw Black Mass. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, guys. 2015 American biography crime drama movie mm. about how lucrative vending machines and high are. <laughs> it was directed by Scott Cooper mm. and written by Mark Maluk and Jez Butterworth. And real quick, for the record, Uh-oh. I want to point out, Jez Butterworth, not a chick. Mm, nope. He's no... But he's, Jez is a girl's name. Not for this guy. It's not Jez, it's Jez. Uh, based on the book Black Mass, the true story of the unholy alliance between the FBI and the Irish mob by Sapphire. Dick Lair and Gerard O'Neill. It stars Jesse Plemons, Peter Sarsgaard, Rory Cochrane... Mm. Corey Stoll, Adam Scott, Johnny Depp, and Joel Edgerton. I forgot Adam Scott was in it. <laughs> His mustache did not forget. Yeah, I know. It's, it is that same look the whole movie. The By the way, I've totally I've decided you guys totally have to see the overnight, uh, which is directed by really? yeah yeah by Patrick Bryce, the guy who was in Creep with Mark Duplass, who directed it. Yeah. Uh, so he did a movie with Adam Scott and Jason Schwartzman called The Overnight. That I've I've been thinking about it. You guys totally need to see The Overnight. I'm just saying that. Speaking of Adam Scott, well, does his mustache take like make an appearance in the movie? Gosh, I think. Oh, you know what? There is uh, definitely some mustache work. I will say. Okay, good. Yeah. Just so we oh. get a couple of rides. Let's All right, Black ride. Mass is rated R. Mm-hmm. For oh, it must be smoking. For brutal violence, language. Throughout, some sexual references and brief drug use. Not brief. It's twenty year drug empire. And there is smoking, but there's not as much as I think there should have been. I think they, I think they sort of soft pedaled the smoking. In this oh, yeah. I think they soft pedaled the violence. I think it's not. Well, we'll get to that in a moment. And, yeah, the drug use is very brief. I mean, go on. Uh, let's see. So, how did Black Mass do on Metacritic, which is the average from various reviews? It is at 68. On Rotten Tomatoes, exactly three-quarters of the reviews are positive because it's at 75%. Wow. It opened at number two on its opening weekend. It didn't beat that second Maze Runner movie, but it opened Ugh. at number two with $22 million. Kelly Wand, what I want <clears throat> right now on this podcast is a Black Mesopsis. <laughs> with a happy ending. Um, see, so it, can, it can only be one of two things, that title. Although I've had, like, listener, female listeners, like, somberly tell me, like, no, it's Black Mops. Like, you did it wrong. Like, <laughs> How many people do you run this by? Uh, like, two... D- not, not this one, but, like, I've noticed that they are very certain about what the title should have been. Like, no, it wasn't Gravitopsis, it's Gravopsis. 
like with that level of disdain for what I'd chosen. So in a way, I should just go with whatever Tom calls it. Just to fuck with them the way the guy was fucking with Tom on the plane. Black Mapsus, is that all right? Sure, works for me. Rock and roll. A tape recorder's all click, then someone turns it on. Fat Mark Wahlberg's all, okay, before we get started or whatever, you tell this fucking tape recorder here I ain't no rat, I'm a snitch. Capiche? If I play my cards right, someday I'll be a stool pigeon. It's like Woody Allen. But for that, first I'm going to need a deck of cards. An off-screen fed's all, uh, you're Irish, why are you saying capiche? Just say the words there, you lumbago. Uh, tape recorder, Fat Wahlberg's not a snitch. Okay. The tape recorder whirs irritably. The feds all, okay, cool. So I guess we're ready for some flashbacks. No, I ain't not no snitch. I'm a rat. Ain't you even listening to me? Not really. We're tape recording this, so. Ah, eh, forget about it. What diff's it make? Either I cuts the stupid deal, I sleeps with the fishes, whatever. Bada boom. Yeah, fish don't sleep. Their eyes tend to be open. Also, interesting fact about jellyfish, they get annoyed when you put peanut butter on them. Steve Irwin found that out the hard way. Some Martin Scorsese music plays. Some numbers are all 1975. Then some fine prints all. Also, this movie's called Black Mass for some reason, although the main character's white and obviously Mormon. Johnny Depp's all. Hey, get your fucking hand bacteria out of my cigarette butts, you fucking danza. That bacteria's for public consumption. You understand? Jeez, Depp, sorry I thought you liked how my carboxosomes interacted with the oligosaccharides. No, I don't like it. When I do, you'll know, telepathically. Till then, read my lips, you fucking canasta. But your lips never move even when you do talk, except in Ed Wood. And why are you doing George Bush Sr. references? It's only 1970. Boss, you better come outside. There's a fist fight. I know how few of those you get to see. Outside. And this one's for me being stupid. Oh, hey, boss. I had no idea this guy was your cousin shit. If I had, I'd have hugged him. See? Like this. Oh, my balls! Oh, sorry, uh... If I'd known he was your cousin, I'd have kissed him. You know, like this. Oh, my eye! Uh. That's enough. All's uses. Now, if any one of you Chinooks forgets my bounce and me are both related to bacteria one more time, I'm going to mumble something ominously. Now I want all yous to get in fistfights with yourselves and go home and stare at yourselves in the mirror and say the word dignity over and over till a ghost from paranormal activity appears and says, Go on, get the fuck out of here. You hear me, you stinking Molinero's? They're all, yeah, boss, sorry, boss. He's all. And say it all back to me. All 12 guys sheepishly mumble. Ugh, black maps, tape recorder goes click, somebody turns it on. I look over at the cannoli sitting beside me and go, If I were a mafiosi hitman, my name would either be Jugs, obviously, or Lefty, because I kind of want to check out that Nick Cage movie, Left Behind, and see if it lives up to the title. But if I was just a normal hitman, my name would be 47. No relation. Later, after beating someone up with a car window, Depp and his buddy are driving through Southie. The buddy's all, Gee, boss, that was brutal. Imagine if you'd only rolled the window up, voice. That would have been even slightly more cinematic. Speaking of which, I heard that porn stars in L.A. like to eat celery. What a wild. That's great, gazpacho. But this old lady uh, walking down the sidewalk here smells like shepherd's pie. Pull over. Hey, Mrs. C, need any help with that baby carriage full of vegetables there or what? Well, Saints be McGillicuddy if it ain't Johnny Depp with white hair. Do you know you... God damn it. It's hard to be old. Do you know you still owe me $73? They hang out with old lady and play gin with her. 
after Johnny Depp loses a big hand, <laughs> she stuffs a bunch of Christmas cookies in her mouth and screams, Yahtzee! Tom, do you get that joke? I'm afraid I don't. Oh! All right, I spoiled something from something you'll see. Johnny Depp sighs, sets his cards down, and shoots her. Johnny Depp's brother's Daryl at Cumbersnatch. I look over at Jaden's... <laughs> 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 Daryl at Cumbersnatch. I think I got that right. It's a crazy name for a crazy-haired man. I look over at Jaden Smith and go, if I could see you telepod melded with anybody, it'd be either him or Jaws, the shark. Umber Thatch has lunch with James Brolin, whose boss at the FBI is the tape recorder. <laughs> yeah, his name's Jaws. I know, just like that you delineated between the two Jaws. Jaws the shark, not Jaws the mafia guy. So I, I got you. I'm with you. Not the James Bond one, obviously. I don't want to see that. Put a telepod with Jaden Smith dingus. Jesus, what do I look like? <laughs> obviously the shark. God, not the there's, there's, a, there's a shark there too. I'm just letting you know. What if the shark Jaws had had metal teeth too? Like he was James Bond villain. The shark's yeah, the name pa- is not Jaws. There's no it's shark Bruce. named Jaws. The movie is called Jaws. There's a shark <laughs> in it. Its name is not Jaws. Stop that. It's clearly it's Bruce. They call him Bruce throughout the movie. It doesn't that have a so name. Bad. It's a shark. You don't name sharks. What's the matter with you guys? Well, what it's do you think their moms call them? Anyway, it's yeah. just because <laughs> the movie is called Jaws, the shark is not named not- Jaws, you goofballs. What's Bruce? Was Goose Brerick named after Jaws the shark? I'll just keep talking on the thing. Umber Thatch has lunch with James Brolin, whose boss at the FBI is the tape recorder. Brolin's all, listen, I had a cool idea while I was watching. <laughs> That's not Brolin. <laughs> the fuck was that shit? It's Pat Hingle for what? some reason. Oh, I hate acting. I hate it. Listen, I had a cool idea while I was watching the Iran-Contra trials today. All right, that's Brolin. Fuck it. Tell your brother Johnny Depp we'll pay him to kill the Italian mobsters living in North Boston. We have no FBI guys there, apparently, who would find this annoying. What do you say? Cumber snatches all. Gentlemen. Seven trouble the act. James Brolin's all. Uh, it's just the two of us here. Agent Edgerton. Uh, Brolin. Agent Brolin. My brother may be many things. A murderer? But he will never take money from the likes of public servants on my watch. (laughs) Brolin's all... Actually, he'd be paying off the cops. I misspoke earlier. Uh, Basically, he can do whatever he wants, and we'll look the other way, and we'll pay off each other. And ourselves. I spit on your offer and wipe it off with my departure. I said good day, sir, but I'll talk to him. Sounds delightful. Because he has that deep voice. Someone fucks olive oil on a kitchen counter. I think it's Owen. That's I know it's great. It's just olive oil. So. No one fucks her anymore. Only that was her hate. 
That's an olive oil with intersection geek. 1830s. <sighs> Johnny Depp celebrates his old woman in gin shooting incident. What? Did I write this in a coma? By having dinner with his wife, Veronica Cartwright, and his son, Charlie Bucket. <laughs> Johnny Depp's all. How was school today there, Bulgy Jr.? I got an F on me Italian history report. Then I turned around and punched a smaller kid in the face. Then I hotwired the principal's car and killed Santa in a hit and run. Then me fingerprints off with some acid in the science lab. See, Papa? Good boy, Junior. I'm proud as you just. Johnny, I don't know if you should be teaching a kid chemistry yet. He's six or whatever. Hey, kid, let me tell you something. It don't matter who you do. Only where, how, who, and huh. Because if nobody sees you do something, barely happen. It's like Stallone. Johnny, I don't even know if I want kids yet. You're right, Papa. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> You're right, Papa. In science, we learned that observing an object alters its condition. The universe is stranger than we know. You hear that, Angel Muff? Kids a chip off his old man. I look over at Al Pacino holding an orange beside and go, A chick at work told me that every Saturday night German kids make wishes every week and a gnome grants them by removing blue zits from his face. That's why they call it Somstog, because his name's Sam's. He ran out of zits but wished for more. I'd have just wished for fewer kids. Pacino slides slowly down out of his chair and crumples on the floor at my feet, dead. He's wearing a hat, by the way. Tom. Meanwhile, James Brolin sits in his office looking at newspapers. He circles the word circled, and a photo <laughs> caption says, Picture of shot bodies, see above. While well, music's all. <laughs> Kevin McCann pops out from under Brolin's desk and goes, Boo! James Brolin's all. Dude, it's like 9 p.m. How long you been down there? Never mind. Listen, I had a cool idea. You know my friend? I mean, uh. But he, I mean, gangster named Johnny Depp. Let's let him do whatever he wants. Who knows? Maybe we can get him to photograph people. It's a classic win-lose, tie-lose. K-Bank's all. <laughs> James Brown's all. Come on. Pecan's all. All right. But didn't he do LSD 50 times in prison? <laughs> James Brown's all. He only did that to commute his sentence. Kevin Pecan's all. Eh, for Christ's sake already. Fat Mark Wahlberg nods at the tape recorder and goes, And truer words was never spoken, because right away there was consequences. Some Scorsese music plays while guys in a mafia car pull up, shoot a Coca-Cola sign, and screech off again, while a man falls over spitting ketchup out of his mouth and stomach. Meanwhile, by a lake, Look, Johnny, I hope you didn't bring me out here to kill me or nothing. <laughs> no, Mickey, of course not. You know me. Put her there. They shake hands. Johnny Depp nods at another guy as he pulls out a gun, sticks it to the guy's head, and squeezes the trigger. It clicks. The guy's all shit. He sighs, clicks the chamber open, and reaches into his pocket for some bullets. The guy shaking Johnny Depp's hands all, wait, what? He just tried to shoot me. Is this handshake on the up and up or what? I thought you said we was cool. We are, Polly. Noodles here just wanted to join in a handshake. And hey, listen, you and up and have a knife I could borrow for a second. Well, okay, here, I'll just get it with my left hand so our handshake remains ongoing. Here, there you go. Now, what was we talking about? Nothing clammy. Now, say hello to my little friend as I kill you with this knife. The fuck? It's one of those trick knives where the blade retracts. Yeah, why? You're going to use that to kill? Ah, come on, Kobe. We've been goonies now. How long? Who was best man at your sister's bris? Say, you got a blackjack I can borrow for a second? Thanks, asshole. What the fuck? These are playing cards. 
Oh, you mean the other kind of blackjack? Hang on, I might have left one here by the cliff. Eventually, Johnny Depp convinces the guy to hold his breath till he passes out, and they can try to figure out some alternate plan. Meanwhile, in a hospital... Johnny, it's me, one of the Goyle characters. I think Timmy's sick from something at Breaking Bad called Ryacin. I guess I misread the label. My Asian cousin says throwing rice at weddings is a waste of food, but they set balloons on fire, and we can grow more food, but waste and ash is a monster. Uh, what happened? The kid we met in that one scene got poisoned somehow. They say he'll never be in that scene again. Oh, Johnny, I think it's time we pulled the plug on him. We can always have another plug. This time I'll play a tight game, I promise. See, I wrote the right thing to feed him right here in my hand. Ryerson. What are you, retarded? Pulled a plug on Timmy? I still have so much to teach him. Wait, did he tell the doctors anything about me? Who I am? He begins strangling her. The doctor from straight out of Compton comes out with a chart and goes... He comes straight out with a chart and goes, Hey, Mr. and Mrs. Depp, good news. Turns out it was just rice. Misreading's infectious. That's something we like to say around here. Meanwhile, in Brolin's house, his wife saw, What the fuck, Jimmy? Something's been off about you the last 15 years. I can't put my finger on it, except you got an earring, a personalized license plate that says corrupt fed, and now you even walk different. My mom told me two of those would happen. I don't know what you're talking about, babe. I walk the same as I ever do. Ow! Oh, my spine. His mother-in-law sighs, looks up from her crochet, and goes, FYI, the earrings is wedding ring. He's just dumb. Meanwhile, in the FBI's couch room. Uh, what's Kevin Bacon selling? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Brolin. Yesterday, a sweaty man came in here saying Johnny Depp's going to shoot him in the head during a parade. You called him crazy. Bang, now the guy's dead. What do you call that shit? Grounds for promotion? You don't think it's a little suspicious you also organized the parade and that he was shot with your gun and you're drinking a cup of Joel at a mug that says, hey, thanks for helping me kill that character during the parade, creepily Johnny? <laughs> Look, if what you insinuate is true, I wouldn't even notice myself doing anything incriminating, would I? Boom, you just been brolant. Uh, guess I better call Johnny Depp and tell him you're on to me. Jesus, bro, you're standing right next to me. Can hear exactly what you're saying. Fuck. Uh, uh, right of my tits, gotta go. Kevin McConzall, eh, for fuck's sake, on a stick basket over there. I look over at the Scorsese music sitting next to me and go, I sure hope the feds aren't wiretapping this podcast. That night in Brolin's unlit dining room, he's all, then I tripped over the coffee mug you gave me and splattered hot coffee all over my scrotum. But I didn't tell him nothing, Johnny, except that the coffee was real hot. You'd murder all their families if they didn't stop laughing at me. You done good, Jimmy. But more importantly... The dad from Orphans, Stellan Skarsgård, is also here at the table with this. Hello? <laughs> Stellan, these SpaghettiOs here are the mushiest things I've ever stared at, let alone chewed. Tell me, how did you get the sauce so cold in these shards of tin cans so shiny in here? Uh, that's an old family recipe. Tell me or I'll fucking shoot you, shithead! Everybody laughs but Depp. Stellan Skarsgård's all... Okay, well, since you're interested, I... Opened the can and poured it into a saucepan. And since we're out of spoons, I substituted a brick. Uh, since we're out of napkins, I substituted a spoon. Johnny Depsaw. Well, ain't that something? But wait, you just told me it was a family recipe. You gave it up just like that. How do I know you wouldn't screw to the feds about me just like that? Um, well, it's not really the same thing. <laughs> spaghetti and the others, you know, evidence. Would fuck us both. Also, I didn't mention the can opener to the feds. They've been using diet. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I hate this one. 
Johnny Depp's all, eh, I'm just fucking with you, Stellan. Dude, the look on your face, it was all. Have our characters seen Goodfellas? What year is this? Sure, Johnny. That's what I'm always thinking. Speaking of fellas, where's the little woman there, Brolin? Oh, uh, she said she wasn't feeling well when she heard you was coming over. Started Project Tell vomiting into your SpaghettiOs there. It's nothing. We're probably getting a divorce over how I walk. <laughs> Shit, I hate it. Wives don't hang out with us, especially during my comedy routine about secret recipes. She missed all that. Ugh. Better go up and check on her. Yeah, I think that'd be appropriate. <laughs> Johnny Depp goes upstairs and cures the wife by giving her off-screen pills. Like Evangeline Lilly cured the one fuckable dwarf in The Hobbit. (laughs) (laughs) Throw it all in. (laughs) Funny is not a priority. (laughs) Off screen, Tom, it's the first connection everyone made. Fat Wahlberg tells the reporter... We all thought that was the romantic high point, but the movie just kept going. And during this part, the only thing that ever made Johnny smile was IRA riots and his love of dinnertime pranks. A building blows up in slow motion. Martin Scorsese music plays. Meanwhile, in the FBI room, Kevin McCann's all, Damn it, bro, we've been letting Johnny Depp get away with thousands of murders for 20 years. Even Peter Russo's starting to notice. Now I got his fingerprints all over a strangled girl in a kitchen sitting on my desk. How is that even possible? Uh, grounds for promotion? Damn it, Brolin. These are not words I throw on lightly. Damn it, Brolin. Get the fuck out of here. Don't come back till you got tape recordings. It'll make us all look at each other in slow motion while Scorsese music plays. Brolin sighs sweatily and hands him a folder that says tape recordings. The con takes them in slow motion. Fat Wahlberg's all. It looked bad. The lighting, the running time. Then one night, everybody got arrested, except the person the movie's about. Some words are all until 10 years later, a cop walks on screen up to Johnny Depp and puts handcuffs on him. Some words are all in a nutshell. Some murders eventually did jail time. <laughs> Although most of what we just fictionalized probably didn't happen per se, but we're just trying to entertain you with murders. We're not fucking lawyers. Jesus. I look over at Amber Heard and go that book does make you look by <laughs> at the end. <laughs> all right. There. Wow. Yes. Very, Black very nice. Ugh. All right, I want to go first because I want to tie this into something Dingus said last week. Uh, <laughs> we saw Everest last week. Uh, and Dingus, correct me if I'm wrong, you basically uh, – uh, we, we kind of had a, a difference of opinion. I think I just didn't quite understand you. But you said something to the effect of uh, the people climbing Everest knew that they were getting into a, a high-risk situation. So when something goes wrong for them, you don't – as readily, I forget how you put it, but basically it doesn't affect you emotionally the same way. It sort of tempers how you feel about them. Is that sort of a, a fair characterization? No, that's pretty fair. I mean, especially since uh, what they're doing is recreational. Okay. Well, that yeah, that, that is it. So, but basically it affected your ability to respond to this movie the way the movie wanted you to care about these characters, right? Right. <laughs> I completely understood that watching Black Mass. Um <laughs> And I just couldn't help but think of your comment about Everest. Um, in Black Mass, first of all, one of the things I actually kind of like about the movie is that it's not about Whitey Bulger. It's about John Connolly. Right. This is mainly a movie about what Joel Edgerton's character goes through, and I appreciate that, and I, I like that skew on this story. However, 
I mean, there, there, there are many problems with this movie, but one of the biggest ones for me is that I have no sympathy for a, a, a man who has sworn to uphold the law of the United States and then decides at some point in his career that his loyalty lies elsewhere. Um, whether you are an FBI agent or a county clerk in Kentucky, when you <laughs> work for the federal government, if you have a problem with that, you quit. Um, so the, the hero of this movie, the, the conscious of this movie, the conscious of the, yeah, conscious of this movie, the character that I think we're supposed to respond to, I couldn't stand. I had no sympathy for what he was doing, what he was going through, uh, the conflict that I think we as the audience are supposed to sympathize with. Um, and that right there was a huge problem for me. Uh, I didn't care about there, – there was no character for me to like in this movie. Wait, Tom, I don't think you're supposed to sympathize with that guy. I don't think he's supposed to be the conscience. Like I got a way different read off of it. I thought they're just okay. all fuckheads and it's just a movie about, you know, about a bunch of violent shit that went down. But I don't think Connolly is supposed to be a sympathetic character. Well, l- let me put it this way then, because here's kind of what I kept thinking as I was sitting through Black Mass, which is really long. Jesus, um, yeah. yeah, definitely. The whole time, I just wanted to go home and watch Assassination of Jesse James. Because I think this is a movie about a supposedly charismatic uh, figure, like a violent leader who everybody becomes afraid of. Um, And in that story, I think we need someone to care about. Like Assassination of Jesse James, and maybe it's an unfair comparison, but Brad Pitt in that movie is frightening and charismatic, and you can understand his celebrity, and you can completely understand why the characters respond to him the way they do. I didn't get any sense of why anybody cared about Johnny Depp or why they they at all felt what he said. attracted to him or did what he said. I didn't get any sense of him being a leader. Um, so as far as it being like a movie about just a bunch of screwy guys, I didn't understand any of their motivation then because I didn't understand what the big deal was with Johnny Depp. Um, it seems like John Connolly's conflict was to this idea of loyalty to the streets. I think that's how it's even expressed at one point. Um so if it's about a bunch of screwy guys, I don't understand their motivation. You know, in Assassination of Jesse James, which is a very similar story, we have Casey Affleck's character as the sympathetic emotional core of the movie. And I kind of thought Black Mass wanted us to feel that way about John Connolly. Uh, and maybe I'm wrong because it absolutely didn't work for me. In that capacity. Uh, so. I... Oh, go ahead, Kelly. Okay. Just I I just got the sense that it wasn't that kind of movie, and maybe it was just how Edgerton was playing him, and maybe in the script that was intended. But I never got the sense we were supposed to I, relate to Connolly, and it was just sort of like the problem with the movie. And this is the problem with biopics is they're never fun. Most of them they're usually about kind of dry, shitty things happening. And these I don't think these characters are very they're not very compelling. They're like I don't you're right. Like I don't really get why they would have followed Johnny Depp. See, like, you say like dry shitty that. you say dry shitty things happening, but I'm fascinated by the FBI's ineptitude in this and the lack of oversight. Yeah, said, right. And I, I wanted to know more about John Connolly and what the hell he was thinking. Um, but he I was found so- that I found that a fascinating character. It wasn't a dry shitty thing that was happening to me. That 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 was. That was the core of the movie, I think, and I wanted to know more about that. I wanted to care. I think I should have cared about this character. Thing is, get in here. What I want to hear from you. What do you think about what I said? How did you feel about the movie? Well, uh, there are things that I agree with what you said, um, but I, 
And it's fascinating that you make that connection with the assassination of Jesse James, and in particular with Casey Affleck's character, because I think with Casey Affleck's character, you get a sense of a moral quandary um, and an absolute sense of love and devotion. Um, and then at the end, when he makes his final decision, a sense of, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing what I should be doing? Just, just a sense of, 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 of angst, of, and not angst is the wrong word, just this, this, this feeling inside of yourself where I have to make the decision that is going to define the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I never get that sense with John Connolly. Uh, John Connolly has many things in this movie. Um, he's, he's a bully, he badgers, he's this sort of this Southy jerk who pushes people around and he gets his way against uh, Kevin Bacon. I mean, and there's this like crux moment where it looks like things are going to break and then, oh, now there's a break in the case and none of it, none of this has to be resolved. Uh, but I never get the sense that the character has any sort of moral quandary whatsoever. He's just loyal to this guy because he's this guy and he's mm-hmm. buying nice suits. And he just doesn't seem a compelling character for me at all in the way that Casey Affleck's character is. And, and unfortunately, there's no character in this movie, and I think you're right about this, Tom, that I could give a flying fuck about. Um, I don't know who Jimmy Bulger is. I, I, Billy is barely interesting to me. Um, the women are, are, you know, just brushed aside and who, who, whatever. The kid is killed off. I, I, I don't get anything. I don't get a thing about it. It seems like, like Whitey Bulger is this small-time uh, con who makes it big for a little while and then runs away. I mean, I honestly, I don't understand what the point of this movie is, and I, and it's just it just seems so tedious. It seems gangster tedious on a second rung, and I couldn't have cared less about a thing about it. And it's you know forty minutes longer than it should have been. All right, so Kelly Wand, us having said that, what was your overall assessment of this? It sounded like you wanted to kind of defend some of my complaints. Yeah, I'm gonna how, get did, how did you feel about this? The thing is, I think you guys aren't wrong. There is no one to care about in this movie, but I just think it's that kind of movie. I think it's like the craze, and I and there are other gangster movies I can think of. Uh-huh. Off and I'll, I'll I'll offer you one, Macbeth. There are plenty of yeah, there are plenty of stories about yeah. villains where you're not supposed to necessarily root for anyone. Yeah, sure. And Macbeth's also an idiot, and and so's Connolly. Like he's stupid, and like maybe, and that's what this movie's about. And whether okay. that's like like interesting. I mean, and that's the kind of the point Dingus was making about Everest a little. Well, not that so much that they were stupid, but like they knew the risks, and so well that it, not- it 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 prevented Dingus from caring about the characters the way that the movie thought he should care about them. Right, but these guys are right. But the difference is like statistically things were on the climber's side, while as these guys are like messing around in waters that are violent, like every day, like it only like they're the only kind of people who. And they also – that's the other thing too is it's, it seems like crime movies is always about – they never get out when they can. Like they always like do a really big heist or they do something awesome and then they just keep going and then eventually the movie ends. So, Kelly, it sounds like you were kind of into it then. Is that is that mm-hmm. wrong? I liked what Johnny Depp was doing. I thought he really kind of dissolved into the role like a John Cazal as opposed to your uh, Chloe Grace Moritz and Carrie who's like, I'm not really like this person. Like, but he played him totally without charisma or visible – like – it's not a role that you want to really watch. It, that's the thing. It's one of those movies. It's kind of like uh, Maps to the Stars, where I'm not sure who I would recommend this movie to because it's not fun. 
Um, and there's no one to root for, and it's like not even that interesting a story. Like the only, like you said, it's like the only interesting part is that the FBI was like in on it, and like why it took them so long to give a shit. I'm still a little unclear on after having seen the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like the acting, and I don't think it's badly written. I just don't think you're supposed to, you know, care about Connolly. I didn't. I mean, in addition to not seeing why characters were drawn to Whitey Bulger. I didn't like what Johnny Depp was doing at all, and I kind of felt like he'd stepped in from a different movie. Um, I there were, this was an, an amazing cast, and it was really yeah. disappointing for me to see. You know, some of the actors were really trying. I mean, I I really liked yeah. the little bit with Peter Sarsgaard. I thought Rory Cochran was awesome. I loved Jesse Plemons when Corey Stahl showed up. I mean, I was like, okay, now we're going to get something. But I I just Johnny Depp. So a friend of mine made the observation, which I couldn't help – I kept thinking about it as I was watching the movie. He basically said if they wanted to cast Ray Liotta, why didn't they cast Ray Liotta? Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and by the way, he, that's not even correct because they didn't cast Ray Liotta. They cast a vampire Ray Liotta. Yeah, it was right. really Interview with a Vampire. I mean what the yeah. hell was he – what was that makeup, his hair, his eyes? It, it looks like – That's how the guy looks. Look at the Interview with a Vampire. Kelly Wan, that's not what Whitey Bulger looks like. I mean I don't know what they were trying to do because Whitey Bulger doesn't look like a guy in bad makeup. Um, And and the movie, by the way, it opens on this incredibly tight shot of Jesse Plemons' face. uh, And it tries to do that every now and then with other actors. And it makes it so clear that Johnny Depp is wearing like heavily textured makeup. He's got the fake hairline. He's got a little prosthetic nose tip. I I mean I thought it – it really just looked like he had lumbered into it, the, the, the movie from a vampire movie. It was you know, embarrassing. It was embarrassing, and I didn't, I, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't care for his acting. It really just felt completely different from what other people were doing. Uh, and again, mainly, it's just I didn't understand why people were drawn to him. I don't understand why someone didn't just kill him. Uh, yeah, yeah. There was no sense of him being that menacing. The, the, the scenes where he's supposed to be menacing, like where he's. Uh, Strangling? Taking, no, where he's taking Julianne Nicholson's temperature or whatever that weird thing was. Yeah. That was so ham-handed, I thought. And even in that scene, by the way, you could see the makeup on the back of his hand, but not on his palm. Right. It was just so... Yeah. So, by the way, we'll get to it, but my over and under is basically movies that are fucked up by bad makeup. <laughs> Prometheus. Uh, so, so, Dingus, where, how did you feel about Johnny Depp? So, by the way, I do want to go to bat for Johnny Depp in that... I recently saw – well, many months ago saw him in a movie that is terrible but that I kind of recommend because he is so incredibly outrageous. He is so committed. Um, the movie is a big mess, but it's an unforgettable mess, and Johnny Depp's performance is unforgettable. You know, Mordecai. Johnny Depp is kind of awesome in Mordecai. Oh, oh yeah. You were telling me this. Yeah. So I I didn't care for him at all in this. Dingus had – Kelly liked what Johnny Depp was doing. I didn't care for it. What did you think? Because I think that's supposed to be a big selling point of this movie. No, I, I, I honestly, I don't get the character, and I don't get what he's doing. I honestly don't. Um, and I, and I see that what you're saying is true. That uh, all these other actors are, are sort of flailing about around while he like walks into a scene and then has the scene, and then he decides to go take a nap. Um, I mean, and what kind of seals it for me is is during Kelly Wan's opsis, he nails. He nails Johnny Depp's uh, voice a couple of times, and it, and it, when Kelly did that, um, you know, I'm not calling you out, Kelly, in any way. It's just <laughs> that it's 
it's just the the what he's doing is basically just utility and i don't get any of the makeup i don't get the eye the uh the lenses in his eyes i don't get the hair i don't care about any of that i don't need to see any of that i'd rather see like philip seymour hoffman as capote and just like I'm not going to try to do too much of an impression. I'm going to do a voice. I'm obviously the wrong size person for this, but I'm just going to give you the essence of the character. And I never really felt like the essence of the character. I never got him. I didn't understand that whole thing as the father. They get all of that crap with Rye Syndrome. I mean, even though I have an understanding of it, because my my mother, like, talked to me about that as a kid. I knew that was a thing. Uh, as a parent, I was scared about it because I remember my mother talking to me about that as a thing. But, but that whole idea of him being a father as that is a huge part of his life didn't really matter. And, you know, they totally left out the point of how important that woman at the end of his life is. I mean, if you read anything about Jimmy Bulger, you understand how important the women in his life were. And you get none of that. You just get him as this, like, menacing figure that isn't very menacing. And I, and I, I mean, part of I, I don't think that this movie is well written. I don't like it. I don't like the way it's written at all. I don't like any of these moments of I'm about to shoot somebody, but I'm going to have you. I'm going to have a bunch of dialogue with you right before I shoot you in the back of my head. I hate that shit. I really hate that shit. That's what these movies are. It's chain and it's chained to its source material too. Like it has to enact these arcs. I think that's what's going on with the Rice Syndrome thing. It just felt like it needed to hit Whitey Bulger, the greatest hits of Whitey Bulger's early life. Yeah, right, right. We had to bring in the high lie. We had to bring in his son's death. We had to bring in the IRA stuff, and it really felt disjointed. It didn't feel like it was tied together very well. It just felt like, you know, this really happened. So I guess we got to put it on screen. Right. It didn't feel very unified. It's like, oh, you killed somebody in Miami. Like, dude, why? Who cares about that? Like, you probably killed a thousand people in Boston. Like, we're not sick. Like, why would it matter? But I think that for me, I think maybe the issue was that the movie started, its entry point was too late. Because, like, back in the 50s, he was like, he had like a girlfriend character that was cut from the, like, they shot the scenes and then took him out. And, like, he has a lot of money at the beginning of the movie. So it's like, we don't really know how he even got where he was. But there's there's also a lot of precedent for like lame people being in positions of power and like keeping them somehow inexplicably. Um, well, I you know the the timeline and how much does his brother matter too? Right, and, and that yeah, these are yeah. kind of these token attempts to make him sympathetic. He he stays up late to play cards with his mom. He gazes lovingly at his son. He he helps little old ladies like right. I th- yeah, I'm with Dingus. I thought the writing was just so on the nose and terrible. Um, and, and it really was a, an issue of a weird timeline because even though it felt long, by the time they get to the bit where it's basically the Boston Globe that catches him uh, right. and he goes on the run, I'm like, okay, now we're going to get some interesting stuff about him being a fugitive. Exile. Yeah, 10 years on the – because that's a long time. Right. That's and, so, and, it's a success. <laughs> and then the movie just kind of – it's like the movie is like, oh, shit, we hit the two-hour mark. Ah, we got to close. Sorry. We're right. done. Right, right, right. Uh, it felt so weird. It just it just fizzled out. Uh, and, and yeah, the, I, that should have been an interesting story, him being on the run, that I thought, okay, let's have something interesting now. Let's That's the story. That is the story. Yeah, it left in the boring part of his life. <laughs> right, right. Story. Like the beginning and the end were the interesting parts. The stuff we've already seen a million times in other movies. is oh, Jesus be. Christ, I don't need to see a, a low-rent Goodfellas again. Come on, give me the story. The story is how this guy 
has been on the run for 16 years. Right. Oh, most wanted list for 10 yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. $2 million reward or whatever. How is it fit? And, and living in Santa Monica, California. How did all that right. happen? Nope. Instead, we get the greatest tips of his early life. I mean, imagine the fear of that kind of life. And, you know, he, yeah. apparently you know, the, the idea is that that apartment that they had had, like, all kinds of guns embedded in the walls. And, I mean, imagine living that kind of life and then flashing back and forth and messing around with that. Oh man, there's none of that. It just I'm gonna ha- we're, we're gonna like dress somebody up and put a hat on them, and then some guys are gonna arrest him in the parking garage. Thanks. Yeah, oh God, that, I can't believe that Scott Cooper wanted to end with that scene, and he shot it that way yeah. on that little narrow door. I was like, oh my dude, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, but I, yeah. See, that dingus is why I kind of like the, the movie. I, I felt was trying to be. Uh, about John Connolly and his dilemma and what he went through, even if he didn't have a moral quandary. I mean, he kind of fell into it and just decided he owed his loyalty to the streets, to his his childhood friends. Um, you know, it, if if the movie was going to be about John Connolly, be about John Connolly. But I think that's what it was trying to do, and that's why we didn't get any stuff about uh, Whitey Bulger as a fugitive. Right. By the time John Connolly is arrested, the movie's kind of done. But it just makes John Connolly seem like a craven guy who likes suits. So let's talk about Joel Edgerton. Uh, how did you feel yeah. about him, Dingus? Oh, I, I, I didn't like him at all in it, but I don't think it's his fault. I mean, I think one of the things I do like about this movie, I think the accents are pretty good. Um, usually I get a little freaked out about that kind of thing. I think Especially like no, and, and knowing that, you know, Joel Edgerton is Australian, I was like... Right. Right. Hearing how well he can hide that. Those Aussies are awesome at that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think he was fine at that. But I just don't think he had any notes to play. Um, and that was really too bad. I mean, he was like a, a total dick to his wife. And I don't think he was... He was. I, don't, I just don't think he was a sympathetic character. I'm sorry. I, he was doing a perfect Tom Buchanan again. He's like really good at that. Oh, oh. Well, you know what? I, the, Tom Buchanan, though, at least has... I mean, there, there's this kind of vitality. There's this larger than life oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Buchanan. Uh, uh, and Dingus' use of the word craven is perfect for John Connolly. He's smart. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I didn't care that much for what he was doing. I think if you want to see Joel Edgerton play uh, a craven, creepy guy, uh, there's a movie called The Gift, which I didn't really care for, uh, with Jason Bateman and, and Rebecca Hall, where he's basically playing this kind of like weird character turned up to 11. Uh, and it's fascinating to watch him do that, but I didn't feel he was doing that much here. It did, it did feel just kind of one note. Uh, and it was the sort of thing, too. There were things I started, you know, like when I get bored with a movie, I just start noticing things. There's a scene in this movie where <laughs> where he's starting to get busted, where Joel Edgerton almost literally eats a pair of Red Sox tickets. <laughs> like he's like, <laughs> where he tries to give them to him and then he just he's oh, yeah, putting them yeah. up to his mouth right exactly he's like using them as an actor tool in the scene and I was just fascinated by the choices he was making there <laughs> I love that you said that unfortunately for me all I kept thinking of is how Corey Stoll and Peter Sarsgaard look like uh, like some sort of weird doppelgamer they do don't they yeah, yeah, like totally one of them weird. is the understudy for the other yeah, um, I want to see them like play brothers or something in a movie. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Peter Sarsgaard should be playing, well, right, the the bigger part. But for whatever reason, you know, Corey Stoll was in a big movie about superheroes, so he gets to do that. But they look. Oh yeah, yeah, right. I totally forgot he was in Ant Man. Dingus. Right. They look. It's House of Cards. They look exactly the same. 
It's so weird. Yeah, like their expressions and the way they hold their mouth. Yeah, I was totally noticing that, which was kind of odd. Yeah. Okay, something else I noticed. Uh, I don't. I think probably they were trying to explain this in a way, but I, it was so ridiculous to me that Benedict Cumberbatch has that final discussion with, with his brother on one of those old slimline phones. Yeah. <laughs> like it was so del- Like seeing one of those totally took me out of the scene. I was like, oh yeah, I remember those goofy phones. And why is this powerful senator? <laughs> Sitting in a dingy house, talking to his brother on a slimline phone. I presume it was because he had to have a surreptitious call, so he went to the dead mother's house. Right. That's not really explained. He's just sitting there for some reason with that slimline phone. Uh, no, he's in the dark because they're watching this house. Yeah, they don't really establish that. That's another thing. Is I, I don't. I. We I, don't know the threats. Well, no, I was going to say, like, I saw Crazy Heart, the thing with Jeff Bridges, which is fine. It's just someone making a movie around a Jeff Bridges performance. Um, I kind of felt the same way that I do about this, is about Out of the Furnace, where there's a good cast, but it just kind of fizzles. Uh, I just don't think Scott Cooper is a good director. Uh, That's what I was going to ask you, because I I didn't get to watch all of Crazy Heart, but it just didn't engage me. Yeah. Uh, It doesn't sound like a good... Set up for like the same thing as like Chronicle, Fantastic Four, or um, Mark Webb. Like they just give the wrong directors the wrong. Well, I, I wonder. I mean, yeah, like I wonder. He didn't produce this, but obviously the cast for this had a lot to do with Johnny Depp taking the role. Yeah. Um, and I would call it a vanity project if his name was on it as a producer. I don't know that that's the case, and I don't really know how it fell out. Uh, but I think a lot of this movie was possible because Johnny Depp played it. That's how they got this great cast together. Right. right. Um, and then they get, you know, they just get some kind of newish director who's going to let them do whatever they want, who, who's, you know, who can, I don't know about be bullied, but who'll sort of take a backseat to letting Johnny Depp do whatever he wants. And I, I feel that's what Scott Cooper did here. Uh, yeah, I think you're right about that. I, you know, I also think this is a complaint ahead about a recent movie. I can't remember which movie. Um, but I related it to Lincoln and how I like how Lincoln focuses on a specific moment. And I think with this type of, this type of thing, I mean, since we already have movies like Goodfellas that show yeah. the whole life of somebody or whatever, and just give us a sliver and then, and then give us like little branches off of that. And, and if, and if, Scott Cooper would have been smart enough to start with, you know, and, and I do hate the six months, 12 years, whatever earlier thing. But if you can do that properly, if you can give me like a sliver of that guy's life, and, you know, him tending plants or whatever the fuck he's doing in Santa Monica, and then jump back to whatever else is going on and what, what those other guys are doing and why they informed on him and how, you know, there's there's an informant, but then there's being an informant. How those are different things. That I was mean, kind of funny, thing is because yeah. you do set up like Jesse Plemons, for instance. Uh, I love, by the way, the moment where Jesse Plemons realizes he's not the guy who's going to be hit, and with a look, yeah, changes yeah, the yeah. look with Johnny Depp and starts punching the guy. That was awesome. But why did he turn? I mean, because I guess because Whitey Bulger fled. But we get no sense. Like, no, there's we no get payoff. No yeah, and and that's the thing too. When the movie opened, I was kind of hoping, oh, you know. Jesse Plemons is going to be the the the, the perspective of the audience, yeah. um, but he basically, you know, he f- kind of faded into the background, and in the end, he turns against Whitey Bulger, Bulger, and I guess it's just because he felt abandoned because he left. Like the movie doesn't care to tell us that, and that that, that yeah. would have made us that that's an important part of that character, I, I think. Right. And by the way, Rory Cochran, who I really liked in this, I, you know, I. 
Yeah, I, I actually love he, him in this. Yeah, he yeah. How is it that he lets his stepdaughter be, be strangled to death in front of him? I mean, the movie definitely didn't earn that character choice from this character. Uh, like, I, I, I'm with you, Dingus. I really, I was just fascinated by what he was doing. I loved the later shots of him uh, testifying. At one point, he gets asked a question. I don't remember what it was, and he doesn't answer it because he doesn't have to. You right. know, the movie doesn't have to give us a dialogue. Uh, but man, what a what a weird mistreatment of his character to just have them strangle Juno Temple right in front of him, his stepdaughter. That was weird. That whole thing was so fascinating, and then it gets it gets a callback um, because uh, he says, you know, bury bury him next to the whore, and that's oh yeah 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 that's yeah. directly that's a direct that's, <laughs> that's another right. stab that's another twisting the knife like I killed her in front of you right and you were fucking her. And you still have to deal with that. And he just has to hang back for all that. He's a fascinating character, and I think he's great in it, Tom. You're right. Yeah, but why is he still so loyal? I mean, why yeah, can't yeah. we have this movie show us why these characters are still loyal to Whitey Bulger? I didn't yeah. get it. Yeah. Did you guys notice – so I left as soon as the credits started. I only know this because I was looking at stuff on IMDb. Do you guys know who did the music for this? No. Uh, uh, totally forget the music. Sure. I couldn't tell you a lick of it. Uh, a fellow named Tom Holkenberg, who we know is Junkie XL, who did the oh. music for 300 Rise of an Empire and Fury Road. Holy cow. Yeah. What? I can't believe his Road. name. Yep, he did the soundtrack for Black Mass. Weird, One of huh? the weird things about this movie was how generic the music was. Yeah, yeah exactly. It was completely generic, and I was expecting more of an American hustle. We're going to just overload the soundtrack right. with a bunch it's of songs. Right, the shit out of it. Um, but instead, there was a lot of ambient, not ambient is the wrong word, but that soundtrack was completely generic. Yeah. Maybe people feel like they can't do that because Scorsese. It's like, they'll just, like, if you use any period set, if you're... It's a gangster movie set in the 70s. You can't use any period music. Well, that was certainly my... They're using slow motion, too. So it's That was certainly music. my objection to the way American Hustle would. And, and you know, we're not... At, yeah. I don't know if we're at over-unders yet, but uh, American Hustle would be my over. Ah. I was not a big fan of American Hustle because I felt like it was oh. constantly aping the way um, the way Goodfellas was, but in a in sort of a poor way of doing it. But this movie gave me a huge appreciation for the way American Hustle um, understood what is valuable about making that kind of movie. This movie, especially yeah. in music, and I'm glad you brought that up, Tom, this music was just completely generic and boring. So, I mean, I liked American Hustle a lot more than I liked Black Mass. Uh, what was your under then, Dingus? Uh, my under would be the movie Casino, um, <laughs> I was thinking about that one too. Which I watched again this week, and I really, oh, I, I've wanted to give it another try because I remember hating it the first time because it feels like just, it feels like such a poor, shadowy imitation of what he was trying to do or what he accomplished on Goodfellas, and I cannot, even watching it again, I can't stand Casino. Um, so yeah, this would be the Casino would have to be below this. I'm sorry to say. Kelly Wand, over and under. What do you got for us? Actually, I'll go next. Uh, yeah. So my over and under were uh, bad movies that I already didn't like that had bad makeup. Uh, my <laughs> over is Cloud Atlas simply because there was so much weird stuff going on in that it was fascinating. It wasn't just one character with bad makeup. It was a lot of characters with bad makeup. And I still, by the way, cannot believe the ridiculousness of them turning white people into Asians in that movie. Yeah. Uh, Fair enough. So I know you. I know you think this like enjoyed Cloud Atlas a lot more than me. 
didn't care for it. But as far as bad makeup, I liked it. You know, it was above uh, Black Mass. Uh, as far as below Black Mass, and I don't even know if this qualifies as makeup, but whatever it was, it was bad, and it really took me out of the movie. And Dingus, I know you'll be with me on this. Uh, my under, as far as being worse than Black Mass, with makeup even more distracting, uh, that Benjamin Button movie that David Oh, good Lord. <laughs> wow. I keep thinking you liked that for some reason. No, I don't think any of us did. That movie is horrible. Yeah. Uh, it's for moms. Uh, well, I guess so. Kelly Wand, what's your over and under for Black Mass? Haha, uh-huh, you saw Benjamin Button, first off. You did, too. I didn't. You didn't? Why would you not see a David Fincher? Because I saw the preview, and I went, oh, he ages backwards. Let me, let's see if anyone thinks that's good. And then when it, got it has out, nothing to do with the story. It's a David Fincher movie. I mean, you saw a movie about Facebook because it was David Fincher, right? I didn't. Well, I don't what? know. I didn't know it was a David Fincher movie, the Benjamin Button one. You saw a and remake I, I of a saw you saw a remake of a, a silly Swedish crime drama because it was a David Fincher movie, didn't you? Well, and it was on, yeah. But I mean, Alien Cubed, what? I don't know. David Fincher. Put it this way: Benjamin Button's not a David Fincher-looking movie, so it's like Aronofsky's fucking Noah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, they're both animated films, so why not? Yeah, fair enough. Straight story. But to, and to be fair, Dingus, I mean. Kelly made the right call on not seeing Benjamin Button. I mean, the joke's on us. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely right. All right, Kelly, what's your over-under for Black Mass? Well, my over's Goodfellas, obviously. Uh, well, Goodfellas is a great movie, so you must have really... Oh, you did like this kind of, though, so you are kind yeah. of... All right. Kidding. All right. Well, yeah, well, but Goodfellas it would have been nice. a masterpiece, though. Come on. Right. Yeah, I know. But it's about fun people. Like, that's the thing. It's a, it's supposed to be a biopic, and they just went... But also, too, I was yeah. thinking Goodfellas, like, the Joe Pesci character, you kind of wonder why they don't kill him, because he's completely fucking shit up for everyone, for most of the movie. But then they do kill him. Spoiler alert. Who so wrote Goodfellas, by the way? I don't know. Okay. I mean, it's based on a book. No, right, right. The Henry Hill's own book, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. but yeah. it's it's... But it's directed, I mean, it's written by Nicholas, um, Pala- he wrote Pala- the screenplay? Yeah. Right. Nicholas I mean, Pala- and he did, he also, he also did Casino, which is supposed to, supposedly ah. also, um, uh, so it's, they're both Nic- Nicholas Pelegi, sorry. Um, yeah, he's right. And, and Casino is also based on a true story. I just don't know how the two relate. It just, I, one, it, Casino feels like such a pale imitation. Well, it's Goodfellas, so embarrassing to watch it. And Goodfellas is so influential, and I'm kind of okay with that. I mean, I'm kind of okay with directors like, like David Russell being deeply influenced by it, even, right, right. even if it doesn't live up to it. Uh, so I don't mind movies aping Goodfellas as long as they're, they're good, and that's certainly not the case with this. Yeah, right, so I, Kelly, I, I feel like you're right about that coming, coming, uh, you know, it, it kind of takes watching something or slogging through something like Black Mass, which is two and a half hours long of just nothing, um, to make me appreciate something like American Hustle yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. And it's tedious psycho gangsters can be really fun. So it doesn't have to be as dreary as Black Mass. Did you guys notice, and did it bother you? And then we'll get to your under. So there is that scene where uh, Whitey Bulger is taunting the FBI agent Moss, that that family secret yeah. scene. Um, and then he breaks and does that. Ah, I'm just fucking with you. Oh, Jesus. Right. Yeah. So when they yeah. do that, it's very much like the Joe Pesci thing. Right. right. He finally breaks and he, his face changes from I'm serious to I'm just fucking with you. They have a reverse shot over Johnny Depp's shoulder onto the actor playing Moss. And we don't see his face change. 
Like we don't see the moment that he goes right. from being menacing uh, to pretending to, that he's playing a joke. And what a rookie mistake. How do you not edit in, you know, that's supposedly that that is literally the fulcrum of the scene. Why do you not show us the main actor in that scene? That that just I was like, what is that? Well, how do you ape a Goodfellas iconic? Like that's like a, that's like having your guy shoot a swordsman in an adventure movie, isn't it? Um, just, well, I don't. Again, I don't. I'm just talking about how Scott Cooper decided to edit it and shoot it. Is that you know? Well, he, we should see Johnny Depp's face at that crucial moment. Instead, it's a reverse shot showing us Moss reacting. Whatever. I just thought that was. Then that's instantly followed by the go, he goes upstairs for the white thing. Right. It's also yeah. So the back to back, like, what the fuck is this yeah. movie doing to my head? All right. So tell me then, what would be your under? What's something that you didn't like as much as Black Mass? I can I guess I just did like I do the opposite of what you guys do and do like the widest brackets possible. So like best <laughs> thing and worst thing because right. I suck at this game. Um, but my under is Scarface, which to me is like the lamest. I don't understand why that move anybody likes that movie. So Kelly Wand, I was giving you griefs for not seeing the Benjamin Button moving movie or the Facebook movie. I've never seen Scarface. Ah, it's not that good. I'm telling and, you. Well, if it's your, if it's worse than Black Mass, I'm not gonna see it. Yeah, don't bother, Tom. I do want to pollute Michelle Pfeiffer's womb, though. One, two, three, homie, you and me. Got one eighty degrees, and I'm caught in between. Counting one, two, three, feet apart, now it's free. Getting down with three feet, everybody loves me. I had a moment, um... Right after this, yeah, movie. you had a theater moment, right, Angus? Yeah, ah. I had two theater moments. The one that would be pertinent here is that as the credits scrolled up, the um, director of photography went up, and it's uh, Masanobu Takayanagi. The Gray. Yeah, from the Gray. And Ew. when he when his name went up, I went, Ah, Masanobu Takayanagi. I was just very excited, and I wrote down. And the guy sitting next to me went, What did you say? <laughs> I went, uh, I. Uh, <laughs> just the cinematographer Masanobu Takayami and he went oh uh, but why was it called Black Mass uh, <laughs> so I think it's when I said Masanobu he thought I was going to tell why the movie is called Black Mass and so this stranger next to me went why is it called Black Mass and I said that I have no what idea he just said something Japanese that, it must be about the title hey hey what was that dude what? I was like, he's in that church service at the end? I don't know. And he goes, all right, I'll just Google it. And then he got up. And- <laughs> I love that he directed that to you. And by the way, Kelly Wand, uh, this is another instance of uh, Dingus unable to control his verbal ejaculations. Right. No, it's awesome because look what it look what it Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it gives us this is how of- we get this is how we get moments like his noise when he stood yeah. during Star Trek into darkness. Yeah. I love that about it. Nice is more psychotic because he did that. He felt like. He did that in the middle of the movie in front of him. <laughs> right. And this, at least, he's taking notes quietly in the dark and, like, right. saying a Japanese name. You know, we all try to do that. That is great, out. though, that it opened the door for that guy to, to basically interact. Yeah, he's all, wait, yeah. what's it called? What? And I like that he announces to you that he's just going to, if you can't help him, he's just going to Google it. Yeah, he's just going to Google it. And so somehow that, he gets the best audience member quotes. Well, that now means that the, the search results in Google are now being, you know, if you think of Google as an AI for human intelligence, why is Black Mass called Black Mass is one of the data points in Google right. now. Yeah. Right. And that's all that guy cared about. I think it's what was your other theater moment. I see what uh, you're saying. The other was right before the movie when I was standing in line to get 
something from the concession stand. Uh, and the guy in front of me was standing next to his friend, both kind of older dudes. They're talking. Uh, I, and I chose this line because it looked like, okay, there's somebody in front of them, then these two guys, then me. But these two guys were, their dates were in the theater. And so they were actually four, they were actually two different guys. So the, it took longer for them. And then the guy directly in front of me finally went up and he ordered popcorn and he ordered a small soda. And so the girl behind the counter said, do you want butter on that? And the guy said, is it a liquid at room temperature? What? And she that, went. I did not see that turn coming. What? She went. Um, we warm it up, and he said, "Is it a liquid at room temperature?" And it- she, she said, "Well, it's kind of room temperature, but we heat it up." And then the <laughs> the manager, the dude in the suit, was walking by, and he's like, "Is it a liquid at room temperature?" And she stops the manager, and she like points to that guy, and the guy, and the manager goes. And, and they, I, I wonder how many rounds we're going to take before the guy finally changes his question. So from behind him, I finally said in my ridiculous booming voice, when the butter is, in, is at room temperature, is it a liquid or a solid? <laughs> you inserted yourself into that? Oh, yeah, because I was not going to be here for People another People, out of the way. Give it alarm. And, and the manager goes, oh, no, it's oh, when we first get it, it's solid. And the guy's like, is it soy? And <laughs> he changed the subject on you. He yeah. moved the goalposts. Yeah. And the guy and the manager's like, uh, I don't know. And the guy's like, Oh, I don't want that. He knew he didn't want it the whole time. Right. So they finally went off to get his popcorn, and the guy turned to me and goes, He knew what I was talking about. And I just wanted to punch him and say, yeah. Do you know how many more rounds were you going to go before you changed what you're asking them? Because you're asking them two different questions. Is it a liquid at room temperature? Is not obviously not working. So, I miss was, America so fucking much. This, that was this, my other thing. story made me so homesick. I'm the sorry. thing is, Kelly Wan, those are hap- those moments are happening all around you, but they're happening in German, so you, I know, you're missing I can't them. I hear them. Yeah. And Dinkus is my lifeline. Yeah. And I love that dude. Kelly Wan, speaking of things that you love, let's talk about moments of ecstasy for this week's <laughs> three by three. Had that guy ever been in a movie theater before? Like, oh, I think utter. he knew exactly what he was doing. He just was going to stand there as long as it took. You guys, yeah, you guys just he, stepped all over my segue. I had such a great right. segue. And you, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was still uh, – uh, okay, yeah, Speaking of my happiness. I worked so hard on that segue. I love dingus. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So this week's 3 by 3 I'm not quite sure what to make of it. I liked it I more love when, that. Oh, good. Well, I liked it more when I announced it. But these are basically moments of ecstasy in movies. Uh it's kind of wide open. You can do with it what you will. It was it. it was provoked by a specific movie, which is my number one pick. Um, but I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys came up with. So, Dingus, you're announcing next week's topic. So start us off with your number three moment of ecstasy from a movie and maybe give us a quote. Uh, I can't give you a quote because there's nothing said during this particular moment in the movie because it is a moment of ecstasy. And you often don't talk during that. Yeah. Um, so this is... Uh, this is the moment in the movie Brainstorm, um, and this is the, <laughs> oh, it's a great one. This is this is the one. orgasm tape. Oh God, um, right. <laughs> I was thinking, what is Brainstorm? Right, go ahead, Dingus. Go ahead. I know. No. Um, and really this is the only sexual one because um, I wanted to kind of avoid that because I was 
really like looking at what the word ecstasy means. It was kind of exciting to uh, figure that out as far as you know Tom's idea for the topic. But this particular moment is this guy who has looped this tape uh, that you know is is basically uh, putting virtual reality into his head. Um, but it's this this idea of uh, he is basically prolonging an orgasm indefinitely. Um, and it almost kills him. Uh, so it's that brainstorm moment. It's a Christopher Walken movie. Who is the guy? It's not Christopher Walken that does the loop, is it? No, 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 no. JT Walsh kind of looking dude. Right? Yeah. And I remember when he when Christopher Walken comes in, the when and turns it off, the guy's still kind of cycling a little bit. Still, he's just like, Ugh. yeah, he's just twitching. It's, yeah. But you get that. Uh, but Christopher Walken puts the uh, headset on his head and sees what the guy's been doing, and, and he yeah. like pulls it off his head, like, "Oh my god!" Um, but yeah, wasn't it his friend and his girlfriend or something? So he doesn't want to see those. Like he doesn't want his friends. Dick I, I don't know. If it's, it's a girlfriend. I thought it was like a prostitute or something. But maybe not. Oh, maybe it's been a while. Who directed Brainstorm? Uh, Douglas Trimble. Oh God! Wow. What? Special effects. He's the silent running guy who did the Close Encounters effects. Wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I didn't. At least slumming it with brainstorm. And, and am I correct? I, I doubt this is right, but I feel like it should be right. Did Michael Crichton write that movie? Uh, you might be uh, right. It sounds like- but I don't know for sure. But I just it know just that Douglas Trimble like wrote it. I mean, directed it, and he just didn't direct anything else. <laughs> well, he did I Silent think he Running. Looker. Yeah. Oh, he did. He directed Silent Running. Didn't oh. he? I think. Right. I think. Silent Running is Douglas yeah. Trumbull, I think. Right. Yeah. I think but way, that predates uh, Brainstorm by quite a bit. So, yeah, I, I don't direct stuff with Douglas Trumbull sometimes because I'm an idiot. I, no, that's that's a fair point. John Dykstra, where did I see his name on recently? He's gone over to CG these days, but yeah. Tom, I think Crichton wrote Looker. He definitely wrote and he directed Looker as well. Yeah, and Looker's kind of brainstormy. Yeah, definitely. Isn't that? Yeah, exactly. Uh, they would make a great double feature. <laughs> All right, you want, what is your number three favorite example of ecstasy in a movie? You should watch those two movies on a loop, like The Orgasm Guy. <laughs> That's my number three. <laughs> the Orgasm Guy. <laughs> so he is in the Douglas. Awesome, yeah. yeah. I was – that's on his resume, I bet. Yeah. Um, I love this topic so much because I love when characters are distilled to their essences, and ecstasy is like – it's always like what that character's right. super about more than anything. Right. And so I tried to do what Dingus did with like try try to keep sex off of it because sex is kind of like garlic and it's just, it's hard. Like even at its worst, it's still kind of good. <sighs> Kelly Wand, you're such a national treasure. Sex is like garlic. <laughs> In a lot of ways, it repels vampires. Well, it doesn't do that, unfortunately. But uh, it is the next best thing, which is my number three. How's that for a segue, Tom? Well done. I loved in Goldeneye when Famke Jansen comes into like a Russian uh, missile place and she sees a bunch of she machine guns a bunch of people, a bunch of scientists, and then she like uh, comes like three times, just like looking at their bodies. She's Wait like, a minute, oh, loves it. <laughs> the Russian the Russian missile place. <laughs> Russian missile place. I don't know what that means in English. RMP. Dennis, can you, veri- can you verify this is a thing in Goldeneye, or is Kelly Wan just inventing this? <laughs> Wait, what part are you doubting? Which part sounds made up? The, That's her, do you remember when she's with uh, three orgasms during a Russian missile place? I don't even. I don't yeah, know. And, things. 
No, and then the other, guy, and then the Russian guys look at her and go, oh, "This chick's a little too much for us," but still interested. I, I don't think I, I. I can't even remember Goldeneye. How does Phoenix in? Fam K. Jansen, uh, the other girl's Isabella Skorupko from that Exorcist movie. Um, where she's possessed, spoiler alert. But, um, Goldeneye, she's Masseuse. Remember the, she's in the Masseuse, uh, the, the, no, the spa, the sauna with James Bond, Pierce Brosnan. And they're saying, like. Saying the word remember at this point is not going to work for either one of us because we do not remember. Goldeneye. You can say anything. Yeah. Like like Russian Missile Place, yeah, exactly. Do you remember that her power? She can kill you with her thighs. Like that's her suit. That's her James, her ain't James Bond enemy. So when she does that to James Bond, how does he get out of it? Okay, they're in a sauna when she right. does it, and right. then he he gets out of it by banging her into a wall, and then she's biting his finger, and he's like, you can tell from his face they're not talking much, but he's like, you're really hot, but you're too out of control, and this thigh thing's going to be a problem. That's what his face is saying. So then they just fight normally, and then he wins because he's the male James All right. Bond. Figure. All right. All right. That's a that's a weird one. Uh, I I I will trust but verify that that actually happened. I'm going to look into this, Kelly Wand. So I like that part too. Like that that should be my actual number three is in this the sauna. But yeah. I like machine gun thing more right. in a way, just because it's like that's pretty intense for a James Bond. <laughs> sure. All right. Uh, my number three is uh, I, I I didn't none of mine are sex and I tried to avoid drugs but I couldn't help it in this case uh, but I think the drugs are not they're sort of facilitating the ecstasy right. and it's about the the ecstasy of a character who has been imprisoned for, for yeah. all of his life. Damn it, Tom! Uh, oh, am I scooping dingus? Uh, and he takes ecstasy, and there's a scene where he is dancing under the influence of yeah. ecstasy. He has no idea how to dance. Uh, he's already uncomfortable in his own skin. Uh, and that one moment of dancing just captures his confusion and his ecstasy and just this idea of finally being liberated and free. And it's Treasure Andrew, Island? It's Andrew Garfield in a movie called Boy A, which unfortunately very few people have seen. Uh it's just his dancing scene where he's been – I think he's actually been given ecstasy. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and it's just him dancing in a club. You can look it up on YouTube, but I actually don't recommend it because it really needs context. Uh, if you look it on, up on YouTube, you just think, oh, you know, Andrew Garfield is like pop-locking or whatever. Um, but but in context, it's, it's just an awesome moment. Uh, so, Dingus, was that one of yours, or was that just one you were thinking of? No, no, that was my number two. I mean, uh, I was going to shy away from it because I think he is given ecstasy. Yeah. But, um, but when you mentioned that the idea of that, um, the, his dance in that is just such a great representation of. And you know, if, if you'll forgive me, I did look up what the word means to to kind of get a sense right. of where am I going to go with this. Um, and I think that that is just such a perfect, one of the great perfect representations of what that kind of, uh, that, that, that freedom, and, and I think freedom is an important word because of what you said about him being imprisoned most of his life, um, what, what that means to him, whether or not it's related to being given a drug, but that, yeah. that, and you're right, you can, uh, you can Google it, you can see, Exactly. I mean, it's very easy to find that dance, but but I would encourage people, and we've done this before. 
please see the movie Boyer because watching that moment for him, it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking ecstasy. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's, I don't know how to put it in the It's, it's basically, it's very much, it gets very much to what Kelly was saying, where ecstasy is kind of a character at its most, at its, his or her most heightened and pure. It's just like yeah. you were saying, Kelly, yeah. Right, right, right. When he's, when he's at his most free that he can be. Yeah. Uh, it's just such beauty. And the way, uh, Andrew Garfield does that, the way he expresses that, it, it's just, as an actor, being able to be that free and, you know, even it doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter if he looks goofy doing the dance. He doesn't care. Right. He's just this embodiment of freedom. And so that for for me, I'm with you, Tom. Nice to see you. All right. So that's, that's okay. It's like uh, it's it's pure actor decision too, as opposed to a lot of our three by three topics where you just go, oh, lens flare like that could have been an accident or it could have been like a cinematographer. But like the moments of ecstasy are always like it's performance. By the way. By the way, Dingus, damn it! I kept noticing lens flare in uh, Black Mass. Jesus, like, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You totally put that on my brain, Dingus. Which makes the title even stranger. It was also so, all you know shot through in Everest as well. I don't know if you brought that up. But. Oh no, because I liked Everest. I wasn't noticing it because I was bored in Black Mass. It was like <laughs> noticing Benedict Cumberbatch with that slimline phone. Yeah. And I, Johnny Depp. I was so bored in Black Mass that when there was a teacup on Benedict Cumberbatch's desk, I was like, why did they give him tea? Are they trying to make us understand, hey, he's an English dude? Right. Yeah. Because you ordered coffee, like Lincoln. Uh, So uh, my number three is Boy A. Dingus' number two is Boy A. So, Kelly Wan, that comes to you. What's your number two favorite scene of ecstasy in a movie? Uh, I'm going to do a line. Awesome. And then you should tell me what movie it is. Mm -hmm. We'll say it's fun. Uh, I thought she was you. <laughs> that last part was me realizing you weren't gonna get it. Uh, so I'm gonna need some help. Why don't? Okay, the what's the title of the movie? <laughs> Rules of Attraction. <laughs> Is that a Brett Easton Ellis thing? Yeah. Oh wow. God. I mean, I think I've seen that. I don't remember it though. Tell us about the moment. Okay, so James Vanderbeek. He's <laughs> right there. That's why that, that's why, that? yeah. Why okay. do you guys know this? <laughs> you didn't see it, I guess? As soon it's as not- you say, by the way, James Vanderbeek, you don't need to say anymore. That's, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> uh, I think I still like this movie. It's it took me a while to like varsity it. Varsity Blues or something else. <laughs> He's in um, Jay and Silent Pop Strike Back, too. He plays himself. Actually, you know what? I do. I do think that like rules of attraction. It's fine. Roger Avery, isn't it? Yeah. It's Roger yeah. Avery. You know, I'm being a little unfair because I love what he did with Killing Zoe. So I. And it's an interesting movie. Why do you say it's Brad Easton Ellis then? Well, it's a Brad Easton Ellis novel his... that Roger oh. Avery adapted into a movie, right, right. Kelly? And, yeah, and it feels it's kind of true to his. You know, Brad Easton Ellis is sort of an acquired taste right. for me. Um, but I. Tell us about the moment in, in the movie. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. In the movie, yeah. So go ahead. Okay, so Rules of Attraction. James Vanderbeek's a fuckwad uh, drug seller at the Brett Easton Ellis University, and it's basically his Miskatonic University at Arkham. And uh, he's really into Shannon Sassamon, but he thinks Jessica Biel's a piece of shit. She's kind of this uh, coked out whore character, but. Um, and there's also 
he thinks Shannon Sassamon's uh, sending him like love notes, but it's really a chick who's in the back of a bunch of shots who is kind of plus sized and depressed. Um, so, but Shannon Sassamon's with someone or they keep missing each other or something. So he pretends through drugs in his hand over Jessica Biel's face. He puts like Shannon Sassamon's picture over her face while they have sex. So she can pretend that she's Sassamon and then, Shannon Sassamon like walks in on them, and then they, James Vanderbeek saw. I pretended she was you, or something. Which, if a girl told me, like I'd find kind of gratifying and a sign of things to come. But then Shannon Sassamon's disgusted and leaves. But he's just so excited that he feels like he's having sex with Shannon Sassamon, even though it's only Jessica Biel that he is. It's like the one time in the movie he's happy just for like two minutes, and then the rest of it's basically like black mass. So, Kelly Wan, I feel like you have perfectly captured the essence of Brett Easton Ellis in that rambling, convoluted <laughs> account of the plot and how it just kind of was drawn out and eventually petered out. That, that right there, Kelly Wan, vintage Brett Easton Ellis. Thank you. I think it petered out pretty early. <laughs> uh, all right. My number two. Uh, Dad, I, I, I really wanted to go back and find the specifics of this moment. There are several moments like this in this movie. Um, but I have one image in my head of the actor, and I can't, I can't quite put the, the specific context. I, I can't quite, I don't quite remember the specific context. So I, I feel a little crappy for bringing this one up without having researched it correctly. But I know it's in there. Um, there are a couple of moments of ecstasy in the fountain. Uh, yeah. One of which, of course, is the the finale. Um, but that is almost like so metaphysical and spiritual that. It's not CG. There's no CG in the fountain, but it's this weird effect sequence. Um, but the one I'm remembering, uh, so the fountain is three different kind of storylines, uh, and Hugh Jackman is the main character in all of them. And in the Conquistador storyline, when he's got like the long hair and the beard, uh, there's a moment, I think, when he sees that weird Aztec priest and there's a bright light, and it whips back on his face, and it's blowing his hair back, and he's like beholding this face of God or something, and it's just the look on Hugh Jackman's face uh, in the fountain during one of these moments. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was considering the fountain as well, but I could not get back to look at it. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. All right, so yeah, and there's a there's just stuff like that all throughout the fountain. I mean, the, the fountain. Yeah, yeah so. Just also, I also love the way that you just said the face of God, because it's like, do you see yeah. what I just did to us? Mission from God. Black Mass, Tom. It's right. Yeah, it's, you know, I was in school yeah. in Boston for a while, so you can definitely hear it in my accent sometimes. I realize that. Wait, you say it again. The face of God. God. No, I, I know what you're talking about, but I, like you, I can't isolate exactly what you're talking about, but I, I know that it's there. I know right. you know. Like, they, they, they're basically like running a huge fan and they just shine this incredibly bright Krieg light or whatever right into Hugh Jackman's face and yeah, 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 he's yeah, just yeah. trying to embody ecstasy and he is I mean he's so freaking good in the fountain and I don't like you know you watch him goofing around and being Wolverine and you're like yeah he's this kind of hot movie star dude but man he's doing so much awesome <laughs> stuff in the fountain no, he was, that's that what you're thinking when you watch Wolverine <laughs> that was one of my favorite performances that year. That was yeah. an eye opener for me. It was just for me. It was oh my god, Hugh Jackman can do anything. Yeah, I mean his performance in the Fountain is one of the great performances. Yep. I mean, 
Jesus, everything that he has to do in that movie and in that moment in particular. And I, and unfortunately I couldn't get back to it either, but I'm glad that you referenced it, um, is I think a perfect representation of ecstasy. And here's part of the problem is I can't just like, if I start, I mean, Dingus, you, you're like this with some movies, and I, I think you're weak anyway, but this yeah. one gets me anytime. I can't just start looking for a scene in the fountain because I know I'm just going to sit down and watch the whole damn thing. Yeah, right. Uh, and I, I can normally do that. Like, Dingus, you get sucked in way too easily. I have no problem with most most movies doing that. But the fountain, you know, if that Blu-ray goes in the player, I'm not going anywhere for, you know, 90 minutes, two hours. You're right. I'm totally – when I start up a movie, you know, if it – yeah, you're right. All right, so let's get down to brass tacks. What are our favorite moments of ecstasy in a movie? Starting with you, Dingus, what's your number one pick? All right, number one, and this is the only one I have a quote from, and the quote is, It's beautiful. Ah, oh, Raiders. Yeah, this is right. Raiders Lost Ark. What? Uh, this is the moment when, when uh, Belloc, played by Paul Freeman. <laughs> um, it, I like it. I love this moment where the angel of death flies up before his face and he has, he has put so much hope into this moment. He's put so much, he's invested in his entire life and literally he's invested his life into this moment, into making sure that, that this pays off, that this pays off for him as a French Jew and that this pays off for him as working for Hitler. Um, and this, the, this, this thing is happening. The, The, They've opened the Ark of the Covenant, and it is a spiritual thing. This isn't. This is actually happening for him, and he cannot. He's he's totally caught up in the moment. And this angel of death, before it becomes an angel of death, curves oh. up in front of his face, and and he looks at it, and he. It, this is the culmination of his life, the culmination of what he's done as an archaeologist, and he says it's beautiful, and then it turns into death. And it's that moment between when he is absolutely at the ultimate moment of his life and that it turns into evil uh, is that moment of ecstasy for me. When when he says it's beautiful and his eyes are so bright and he's so he's enraptured and then he's, you know, his head is, is exploded. <laughs> why, why do I not know that? Or not remember that Belloc was a French Jew. Is that like is that something that gets addressed in the movie? Um, I don't know that. May, maybe I'm guessing that that is. But what, oh, no, no, uh, you might be right. I mean, that gives that, that that gives a lot of extra depth to the character if that's true. I'm just wondering if I forgot. Some, well, some cool a Hitler. Well, he, he runs the whole ceremony in Hebrew, and the, the Nazi, the main Nazi, when they're taking it to the island, says, "I'm uncomfortable with this Jewish ritual." That you're going to perform, right? And Belloc says, "You know, do you want to wait to have the soap in front of Hitler, or should we do it here?" And he runs the whole thing in Hebrew. He does it himself. Okay, that could still just be, you know, in the incantation that's just written in Hebrew. Because that's what I—that's yeah. what I remember sort of thinking. I mean, I would love yeah, I if you're right. Dingus, I would love the idea of Belloc being a French Jew. I thought what Dingus did, though, or what, I mean, what Tom thought. Because I wouldn't have assumed that a French Jew at Hitler would be. Well, like, I, I, just I thought, assumed he like was because difference. because of the way he was protective of the moment and the way that that right. that Nazi said, "Why are we doing this Jewish ritual?" and and he was saying, "Do you really want to wait?" And then he does the whole ritual perfectly, you know, himself wrote. I mean, yeah, he does. He's it. A, he's 
Well, you sort of, I mean, the fact that he does think it's beautiful, I mean, you're sort of implying things. I mean, I think the scene is implying that it it previously had some sort of spiritual significance for him. Right. Um, So, yeah. That's not with the arc. And it's just like, if you're a human being, the arc is going to blow your mind. Like, Uh, he would have said the same thing. Yeah, I want to go with Dingus' interpretation. That makes me like Raiders even more. Something that makes me like Temple of Doom. Stop trying to take that away from me, Kelly Wand. (laughs) What? Take away Raiders? Take away Uh, that Belloc is a French Jew. I like that. In in the third Indiana Jones and the fourth one, um, they kind of rip off that moment, like the girl in the third one and Kate Blanchett in the fourth. They're both girls. Weird. Um, they have that same kind of like epiphany that leads to their doom kind of thing, like Belloc does. But like Temple of Doom is awesome because it doesn't have it doesn't rip oh, that off. Kate Blanchett in the fourth one. I thought I was trying to think of. Uh Who's the Kate in the second one? Uh, Kate Capshaw. I was like, yeah. what's the moment that Kate Capshaw that happens to her? But yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. The whole Crystal Skull thing does have – they definitely try to do that, don't they? Yeah, they rip it off. But like Mola Ram, when he gets the stones at the end, they're just super hot. And he's all, ow, and it makes him like all of it. It's not like feeling ecstasy. It's like, ah! They don't burn Indy because the gods favor the star of the movie, the white man. So – that's cool. Well, he, be- it, he betrayed. A- he betrayed. Similarly, he, he betrayed her. He betrayed her. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying it's not. I'm saying it's not a ripoff of Raiders. And, uh, uh, okay, all right. Yeah, all right, Kelly, your favorite moment of ecstasy in a movie. What do you got for us? Okay, I'm going to do a quote from the movie. You have to guess what it is. Can't wait. <clears throat> I may be paraphrasing because I don't remember the line. <clears throat> Sorcerer, your words annoy me. Obviously, it's something from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, you're pretty smart. So, what moment from ecstasy? What moment of ecstasy from Lord of the Rings sticks out for you? There is no ecstasy. Ah, uh, really? It's my favorite part of the whole trilogy. Oh, is it when uh, Gollum gets the ring and falls into the Fuck hot? Fuck yeah! Love it. <clears throat> love it. I love the expression on his face. He's happy as a clam. He's just, you know what? This All was right. so worth it. Totally worth it. Go back and look at his face. It's the most ecstasy. And it really is what I was saying. Like, it's the embodiment of that character. Like, he's finally got it, bitch. And he's totally cool with falling in lava. Yeah, he doesn't care. Yeah. Right, right. He really so what, doesn't care. What movie is this? Return of the King. Oh, okay, good. It's, it's to- he's so stoked. So fucking stoked. It's the happiest he's ever been. It's happier even, like, when he even gets the ring, it's kind of tainted by murder and shit. So it's like, it's almost like his last, his last moment is happiest, uh-huh. which is in the book. So thank you, Peter Jackson. When he falls into the lava, does he do that Terminator thumbs up thing as he goes down? I don't remember. <laughs> he's holding the ring. So if he did, he would have the ring on it and we wouldn't see him do it. Oh, right. Good point. <laughs> All right, my, my favorite moment of ecstasy, and this uh, this is what made me think of this topic. Um, I don't want to screw up anybody's uh, runners-up, but it reminded me of the transition in the movie Shine when we go from oh, – I, mean, I love this guy, Noah – oh, shoot a monkey. What's his, what's his name? <laughs> Noah, the, the, who plays the younger version of Jeffrey Rush in Shine. Oh, Fair man, first with an S. Shoot. And Come on, he was just – he was in Shoot. a season of Game of Thrones, and he was in that awesome movie Red, White, and Blue. We saw him in uh, in, in that Edge Scooby of Tomorrow. Gary. No, that End of Tomorrow. Dead gummit. What was that? That Tom Cruise movie with Emily Blunt. Tomorrow. Wait, he was in Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, he was the scientist that they go down to see. Who does? All oh, the Noah Taylor. Talk. Noah Taylor. God, thank you, Dingus. It's gonna drive me crazy. Oh, good lord. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you, 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 you threw me off because Edge of Tomorrow, I think, was written by. Uh, 
by Jeff Butterworth. Jeff Butterworth, yeah. Okay. Black you totally yeah. threw me for a second. So, uh, so there's a moment in Shine where uh, the young character, played by Noah Taylor, uh, is doing uh, some symphony or whatever, and it's this moment of artistic, just ecstatic musical performance. And he passes out, and then we transition to Jeffrey Rush, and the movie, for me, gets a lot less interesting. Uh, but just that frenzied musical moment before that transition with Noah Taylor and Shine uh, really comes to life. But it's the finale of Whiplash. Yeah, um, this is close with, for me. Very yeah, good. Yeah, with Miles Teller being egged on by J.K. Simmons. It's this moment where J.K. Simmons is basically – uh, not betrayed him because it's that's the wrong word for their relationship, but it's basically just just stepped on him, embarrassed him, humiliated him, uh, and rather than give in to that, uh, he he just he just presses forward, and yeah. J.K. Simmons sort of recognizes what that he's tapping into this ecstasy and just tries to you know pull him forward with it, uh, and it's this great, I mean it is almost it's not sexual, but it's definitely between these these two men one of whom is in this ecstatic moment of musical production uh, with the drums um and he's elevated yeah yeah Yeah. uh and uh one of the great things about whiplash is it it knows to end there like it knows that that's that's the you know with a climax like that you don't need a denouement just go ahead and roll the credits yeah oh that's so good all right, let's go to uh, what the readers have oh, – I'm sorry, readers, listeners have given us. <laughs> Fred and Lynn – oh, they send in an IMDb synopsis for Kelly Wan. Kelly Wan, check the uh, mail. Arthur yeah. Vanginelli writes uh, number three, Moneyball. Chris Pratt hits a walk-off home run mm. to secure the A's yeah. 20th win, an MLB record. I have no idea what any of those words mean. Ah. Uh. Uh, he is predictably <clears throat> mobbed by his jubilant teammates. First of all, Chris Pratt jubilant. Chris Pratt was in uh, in uh, Moneyball. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah! I should maybe. He's see great. That. I understand that. I understand that. Uh, that you don't have to like baseball to like Moneyball. <laughs> no. Yeah. You don't have to. Right. You have to like math. Silver Linings Playbook. Oh, I do like this one. Also, uh, deep uh, cinematographer uh, Masanobu Takanagi. Ah, Moneyball. Oh, no, so no, 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 Silver Linings Playbook. Silver Lines, right? yeah. Yep, with David O. Russell. Very good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence get the score they need to win the bet. Happiness follows. <laughs> I was actually almost thinking, rather than that moment, just some of their when they're when they're rehearsing and when some of that goes well for them. Uh, uh. Yeah, they're so good in that. Uh, is is he in the the David O. Russell movie Joy? I know Jennifer Lawrence is in it. Tell you what, that was more like purring, like you just. Yeah, sort of, I know what's going on. Yeah, like keep saying her name over and over. Helicopter like in the background. <laughs> uh, Arthur Giovanginelli's number one. Oh, again, I'm not going to know what any of these words mean. Uh, the movie Hoosiers. <laughs> Another sports movie for Tom. Yep, yep. Uh, Jimmy Chitwood hits the game-winning shot in the state title game. <laughs> Buzzer beaters oh. in basketball are amazingly excited, and that feeling is captured in this scene. I like to hear listen to you read sports. I, I cannot believe that buzzer blisters like, is an actual thing. Nope. Yeah, I've never heard that, but okay, it's like listening to someone learn how to read. Buzzer beaters 
You know, it's like Kelly. It's it's like listening to the Pope phonetically deliver one of those speeches that they have the poor guy read in front of an English audience. Yeah, it's fortunate. I love that he mentioned that because it gives me an idea for another guy. I love Hoosiers. I'm a huge fan of Hoosiers. Hoosiers. Uh, yeah. Hoosiers. It's a sports movie. It's like, it's, Gene, it's like a Gene Hagman basketball movie, right? Yeah. And yeah. Dennis Hopper. I mean, it's beautifully done. I, I don't remember the buzzer beater because that because the actual, you know, I know that the point of the game is sort of a karate kid finale. but uh, <laughs> Another sports but that doesn't matter to me because the the structure of the movie and how well it's put together, it, it's just so well put together that that part doesn't matter to me. But Arthur gives me an idea for another topic, so thanks for listening. Kelly Wan, did you hear how the word buzzer beaters rolled so fluidly off Dennis's yeah. tongue? Like he said it before many times. Yeah, yeah. alone in bed. <laughs> <laughs> Not so alone. I want to write a sports movie with you. Oh, with you me? have to write all the sports. Yeah, I just want to see what kind of dialogue comes out of it. Oh, and I do all the sports scenes. Yeah, you're in charge of the sports dialogue and the rules of the game and like the coach's speech, and I'll do like the love talk, like with. The oh my god, I can't wait for you, for you guys to do your highlight movie. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Dingus won that. Well done. Nice work, Dingus. Yes. Dave Perkins right, writes. I'm ecstatic that I didn't miss the deadline. Michelle, that's Dave Perkins' wife, who he will occasionally refer to in, in their contributions, uh, he says, Michelle brought up Blues Brothers, the scene where Jake realizes that the way forward is to get the band back together, and he happens to be at a gospel <laughs> church that is in full ecstasy at the moment, and Jake celebrates his epiphany by doing backflips the entire way yeah. up the aisle. That's an adorable pick. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, Dave Perkins himself says, my favorite ecstasy takes place during the first sex scene in Itumama Tambien, in which a teenager grunts for a few seconds on top of Penelope, Penelope Cruz. Oh, oh jealous. Uh, best decision scene ever, in that it's the most realistic sex scene ever. Wait, going back to Michelle Perkins's pick, something that I like about that, too, is... Um, it's not even that they think they uh, like did the thing, like they saved the band. They haven't done that. It's they've only he's only just had the idea. That's <laughs> right, right. Uh, and he's, he's sort of fast forwarding to the yeah. celebration after it succeeds. Right? right, right. They've accomplished nothing yet, and he's already yeah. <laughs> uh, Nick D writes. Uh, he's got three very different ones this week. He says number three. Ooh, ooh, good pick, Nick. Uh, Jerry Maguire. After being fired, Jerry starts his own company and, miracle, manages to retain – okay, here I'm going to get lost – manages to retain the NFL's hottest football player <laughs> as a client. On his way home from the meeting, he's bursting with happiness as only Tom Cruise can be, but there's a problem. He can't get into the song on the radio. So he has to fiddle with the station until he finds a song he can unleash his pure ecstasy to, Tom Petty's Free Fallen. <laughs> Uh, I like that. I also like when Tom Cruise goes, these fish have manners. I like that line also. What? What is that in reference to? <laughs> when he gets fired and he's making a speech. Oh, that's oh he's taking like the fish with him. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah no, I love, I, yeah, I love that moment, but I wouldn't have remembered that line. That's awesome, Kelly Wand, right? Yeah. Uh, Nick D's number two, traffic. When Erica Christensen's character tries freebasing crack for the first time, she turns her face up. With such a with a look of such bliss that a single tear comes out, I imagine she feels like she's been transported to heaven in that moment. 
Uh, Whatever happened to Erica Christensen? She kind of, after Swim yeah. Fan, she kind of fell off the map. I think she looks too much like Julia Stiles, and they cancel each other out. Ah, good point. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And I thought about drug stuff with Requiem, but I couldn't really. Oh, God, yeah, Dink, that's right. Yeah. Right. Especially when Darren Aronofsky gives us the fountain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Nick D's number one pick. Dingus, I imagine he's kind of sending this one out to you. Singing in the rain. Oh. He writes, it's a cliche, but Gene Kelly's titular dance number is about as pure a form of ecstasy put to film as I can imagine. Oh, that's a great one, Nick. Damn, that's a great one. Dingus, you and Nick D should get married. All right. Fair enough. As long as we can do it in the rain. (laughs) Nick, that's a great pick. Damn it. And get married. Yeah. Uh, uh, All right, runners up, gentlemen. What do you guys got? Anything? I, I I was worried, and I was gonna I was totally gonna bust people. I mean, not only did I have the badge ready, I I had my fingers on my truncheon, if you know what I mean. Oh my god! <laughs> if anybody brought up Meg Ryan's little bit and when Harry met Sally, ooh, Ew. I was not gonna stand. Wait, she's faking that though. Exactly, yeah, Kelly Wong. Exactly, it's fake that's ecstasy, not- and she's using it to make the point that women. Can 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 fake ecstasy. It's not at all ecstasy. It's faux ecstasy, and I wouldn't have stood for it as a pick. So first off, that. I wish women would fake ecstasy with me more because <laughs> they don't even bother. And secondly, I just doubt a chick would ever do that, like in a restaurant. By the way, if you want to see uh, Meg Ryan doing ecstasy, there yeah. are some incredible sex yeah. scenes with Mark Ruffalo in a, in a Jane Campion movie called In the Cut. Um, and I'm not just saying, oh, she's hot and naked. I mean. She's really like playing this woman who just gets let loose when she's having sex with Mark Ruffalo. They're really good scenes. Um, all right. Uh, yes, Kelly Wand. Sea of Love when Dennis Quaid fingers Bill and Barkin. She really gets into that. And in, Wait, the no, one, that's, the one, that's not what? Sea of Love. Yeah, it sounds like you're talking about Biggie. Oh, sorry. Biggie's the Biggie. Yeah. Al Pacino's off to the side going, what are you doing? <laughs> I was thinking of his cigar from Scarface. Cigarface. But the thing I thought Dingus was going to pick was in contact when Jodie Foster goes, they should have sent a poet when she sees that. Oh, poem. that's a good one. Oh, that that's actually yeah. is a good one, yeah. yeah, yeah. I actually I like that part. Because, I mean, that's such a... Uh, like, how do, you, how do you do that 2001 scene, which is, you know, Stanley Kubrick sort of, in, I guess, invented this idea of of, you know, just focusing on a character and letting us... Imagine the ecstasy based on his reaction. Yeah. But that's that's a great line that sort of embodies that. I like that. And she also is really like that is her embodiment. Like she is, she loves astronomy. Yeah. <laughs> She's getting to see like something. Yeah. Like it's kind of the payoff, and then she sees her down. Things kind of jump the shit. <laughs> when and David Moore shows up, right? Yeah. And there's a. Did you ever see that Ethan Hawke movie Gattaca? Sure. Yeah. That Ethan. Remember Hawk his whole movie. that Ethan Hawke movie. <laughs> Where it's like his whole thing's I gotta be in space. Like that's what he's supposed to be ecstatic about. But at the end he's wearing like a space helmet. You can't tell if he's really ecstatic or not, but the music's like, he's ecstatic. Don't worry. <laughs> Trust us. Right. Again, I think that's the big easy. <laughs> Everything's the big easy. Um, do you guys remember anything from altered states that might Well, so uh yeah, like I, I think of uh yeah. Uh, so I William Hurt both in um, uh, what's that? Uh, Body Heat 
and in altered states uh, in in weird sex scenes. Absolutely, yeah. All right. I think I've said this on the podcast before. Oh, yeah. What I most remember from Altered States is that at one point Blair Brown says to him something along the lines of uh, having sex with you feels like being harpooned by a mad monk. <laughs> <laughs> what? How come no one ever says that to me? Yeah, I know. Well, you're not William Hurt. <laughs> I have the haircut. Bunch <laughs> of crap. All right, uh, Dingus, what do you got for us for next week's Wait. Week? Oh, yes, tell one. Sorry. Yes, go ahead. Uh, did you ever see The Last Seduction with Linda Fiorentino? Sure. By John Dahl. Isn't, okay, so that's, is that ecstasy? She just loves being a bitch in that movie, like the character. I actually don't remember any specifics in that. Uh, Is she, is she ecstatic about being a bitch? Yeah, all the time. Okay. And she has like really mean sex with Peter Berg, and she's like, like pushing his face. Never mind. All right. I'll hear dinguses now. Sorry. All mine are sex-related. Forget it. <laughs> My last one would be the, the moment where, um, where uh, in Sunshine, um, yeah. he opens up, he gets the computer to open up the blinds. Oh, uh, that's a good The one. sun fully shines onto him. Is that is that Cliff Curtis? Yeah. Yeah. Who uh, Kelly Wand is really digging in uh, Fear the Walking Dead, aren't you, Kelly Wand? Oh, God. That fucking show. <laughs> Did you watch more of it? Did I, no, I'm not caught up with it because I, I was out of town for a while, so don't I go quit on it. Right. No, I can't. Oh, you gave up. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, it's I'm only six episodes. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick it out. Yeah. Too many. Too many. All right, Dingus, what do you got for us for next week's three by three? All right, so for next week's three by three, uh, it was inspired by both the last movie we saw, not not Black Mass, but Everest, and a movie I saw this week in doing in working out my over-under, I watched Casino again. Um, and it's the use of title cards in movies. Um, you know, in, in watching Everest, I watched another movie called Touching the Void. And Touching the Void would give you title cards for which day was which. Um, and I like the way that the movie did that. That's pretty standard. Um, Casino does a really dopey joke as far as that's concerned. Um, when there's a, a scene of Joe Pesci um, back on the East Coast, and and the title card is back home, um, and it's just a joke about hey, you know, I, I'm tired of being back home, and so the title card shows up back home. Um, so what I want is for you guys to come up with title cards that are actually useful, funny, or meaningful, rather than just being dopey. Like, I mean, I, I don't think that the ones from Touching the Void are dopey or they're just utility, but ones that actually have meaning for you. So those are those moments where the the thing shows Paris, France, and there's the Eiffel Tower in the background. I mean, that's obviously idiotic, but some of those can actually work. We've never done title cards. Good. Wow, <laughs> I'm a little surprised. No, yeah, I know. Okay, good. Does uh, the movie title count? No. Why not? Well, no, you so know what I mean by title cards. It well, means I do, but I was just thinking of ones that are kind of tight. Like it just, it's like a card that comes up the same. All right. Yeah. I mean, you'll, you'll have a little bit of leeway as far as that's concerned. Fine. Um, uh, I think you need to say one way or the other. I mean, that's kind of a big one. Yeah. I mean, like that's yeah, title screen. No, it shouldn't be the movie's title. It should be something okay. that's happening right, between right. scenes in the movie. Yeah. 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 That, that makes it. Yeah. Cause otherwise everybody's just going to, you know, uh, cabin in the woods, you know, everybody's yeah, gonna, we, we've already yeah. done things that are like opening credits and that kind of right. thing. This isn't credits. This is this is 
the filmmaker trying to direct your attention or give you the information in the form of printed text on the movie screen for some reason. Ooh, this isn't subtitles. We've already done subtitles. Ooh. Well, no, Dingus definitely rolled out a very specific uh, criteria. I, li- I like that in a three by three, Dingus. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, Dingus, what if, the, what if the listeners have some good ideas? All right. If you listeners have some good ideas, and I hope you, that you do, and I know that you will, and they don't have to be three of them. If you have one of them, just send it in to 3x3 at quarter to three dot com. And again, you can send three, you can send one, you can send two, however many you want to say. Just send them into 3x3 at quarter3.com. Kelly Wand, am I going to regret it if I ask you to tell the listeners what movie we're seeing next week? Yeah, we're all going to regret it. Are you still <laughs> going to do it, though? Uh, I, I do just, have a choice? I, I, well, I want to hear you say the director's name, and I'm not sure that I have the title correct. Sicario? Am I saying that right? Sicario. Sicario. We can't see The Martian until next week because I live in stupid-ass no, You know what? No, so, it's, yeah. yeah, no one. That's fine. But uh, So it's Sicario, and so Kelly Wand, who directed that? Well, I just don't want the listeners to think we're not doing The Martian, like, because, yeah, affect that shit. But uh, the director of Sicario, obviously that's me I'm, I'm imitating, um, is, um, his name is Dennis Villeneuve. No. Yeah. Dingus, can you do Denise any better? I can't do Villeneuve. it. Denise Villeneuve. Yeah, you kind of got it. Go ahead and say that again. Denise Villeneuve. It's Dennis Villeneuve. Wow. Dingus said that as as well as he could say buzzer beaters. I couldn't even. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, we'll be seeing Sicario. We'll be doing a three by three of uh, title cards. Uh, join us next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by uh, Christian McClursky. It's Christian Morosky. And Kelly Wand. I'm liquid and at room temperature. Jimmy, head with hair. Long la 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 Give me down the fair hair, shoulder length and long girl. Here, baby, there, mama. Everywhere, daddy, daddy, hey. What's that song about? It's a metaphor, Kelly Wand. Dinkus, I'm like the monkey in the fountain. Tom, the cats have devoured the best part of him. (sighs) Now I see why he's so angry.